0: Find us on Facebook and Instagram at VOC Nation Wrestling Network and follow us on Twitter at VOC Nation. No BS with the bull, Manny Fernandez, worldwide in the VOC Nation Wrestling Network. I'm the voice of choice, Bruce Wirt. And with me, as always, for another week, the Raging Bull, Manny Fernandez. What's happening, Manny? What's going on? I hope your Monday is a good Monday. My Monday's cloudy and rainy like it's been all month. I'm getting tired of it. Yuck. Yuck, yuck, yuck. Yeah, it rained the last couple times we did the show together. It's been raining like crazy down there for you. It's still raining. We just had a big thunderstorm and lots
1: of rain, and all that does is get the mosquitoes worst.
0: Ugh. You're down by Houston, right? About 40 miles from Dallas. Dallas, okay. All right. 100 miles from the Louisiana border.
1: Louisiana
0: border. We never talked about this, but who's your who's your preferred football team? I played with Kansas City. I'll always be a Kansas City fan, All even right. though
1: we got beaten in the Super Bowl this year. I'll always be a Chief.
0: You're not a Cowboy fan, <laughs> though, right?
1: No, I don't. None of Texas sports—not the Rangers, not the Cowboys, not the Dallas Stars. No, no, no.
0: All right, no. good because. <laughs> I'm from Philadelphia, and we couldn't be friends if you were a Cowboy fan. No, no. <laughs> one team, I, one
1: football team I hate the worst is Cowboys, America's team.
0: I, I don't think they're America's team. Yeah. All right, well, this week we're going to talk about Manny's time at a CWF Championship Wrestling from Florida, and I know a lot of you write in and you want to hear about Manny's work with Crockett, and we'll probably do a few weeks on that. We'll cut it up into different components and talk about different uh, specific um, wrestlers that you worked with. So that's coming up soon next week uh, for all of you that have written in. I mean, we have hundreds of correspondents that that come in through various means we will do a mailbag episode and Manny can answer your questions. If you do want to get us uh, any questions for Manny or uh, anything about Manny's career or people that he worked with, do me a favor and send an email to uh, Bruce at VOCNation.com, VOCNation.com, or uh, you can tweet us at VOCNation, use the hashtag NoBS, NoBS, just all one word, uh, and, uh, and then we'll see it, and we'll try to get to as many as we can next week. We record, Manny and I usually record either on Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. So if you want your stuff looked at, try to get it uh, before Thursday night. And uh, and the shows drop, of course, on Monday. So that's what we'll do in the next couple of weeks. So uh, there you go. <laughs> Manny, uh, we know you started in Texas. You started with Funk and Murdoch, and they kind of brought you up to the business. Talk about how you ended up in Florida, what happened?
1: Well, you know, in the business in the old days, they called you had to pay your dues. You had to earn the respect of the people for you to move on. For somebody called another promotion, another part of the territory and say, we got a good kid here. He's green, but he's good and he's willing to learn. And you know, that's basically what I did. I paid my dues. I did what I was supposed to do in Amarillo territory, everything they asked of me. And so Murdoch and them and Mulligan and the funk, they called Eddie Graham and told him they had a good kid down there and might get over in Florida with a Hispanic background. Cause you know, there's a lot of Cubans back there in the seventies. Sure. Yep. Uh, that's what, that was it. They made the call. And I was told uh, when I got, they got the approval. I, got, I was told when to go, and when to show up, be there with my bag, be there ready to go. And uh, that's what I did. I went showed up and checked in at the Florida office and talked to an old, old-timer named Charlie Lay <laughs> and told him I was coming in, reporting in. So that's basically how I got started.
0: And Charlie was the booker?
1: And... No, Charlie Lay was the old-timer that ran the office. He was like a secretary. Okay. You know, he answered the phone and that made sure all the guys are supposed to be there to do TV, were there. That Charlie they had to sign in with Charlie so they knew who who, uh, who was on uh, for the TV taping.
0: So, so so lay it out for the fans that aren't familiar. Uh the NWA was comprised of a whole bunch of territories. This is uh the late 70s, right? You got there 78, yeah. 79, 79. 79. I got released from the,
1: the Chiefs and uh I'd already been training before that, before my release in the off season. So, yeah, I got my release, and I went down there in 79. And, uh, you know, it was – I think it was the start of one of the best parts of my life, really, to tell you the truth. There were so many opportunities for me in Florida, and, and, you know, I had great people around me. And two great bookers, Jerry Briscoe and Dusty Rhodes. So, And a a great owner and promoter in Eddie Graham. So it was so, a big learning curve for me, but uh, I was excited about it.
0: So for younger fans, I think a lot of younger fans that started watching during the uh, the first heyday in the mid-1980s, they associate NWA with World Championship Wrestling, uh, Jim Crockett Promotions, uh, who was the dominant territory in that, that time period. But the NWA was made up of a whole lot of different promotions across the country, Bill Watts territory uh, obviously was a big one. You had Florida, you had Mid-South, uh, you had Crockett. So where did Florida rank in terms of significant territories and TV visibility?
1: Well, you had nine territories, you know, you had all the Oklahoma territory, Louisiana territory, Texas territory. And you had, you know, you had uh, down the line, Florida and the NWA Mid-Atlantic and, there was nine territories, and Florida was one of the best. In the late seventies, Florida was one of the best territories to go to. Everybody wanted to come to Florida. It's hot. You can make money, good money. And as a rookie, you got taken care of by great talent.
0: Sure.
1: You got showed the wind, showed the ropes. And Florida at that time was the hottest territory in the country. You know, you know, with the way they were going about their business.
0: And each territory had their own distinct champion for that territory. And then there was one NWA champion that really ran around to every territory and defended the belt, right?
1: Correct. Correct. At that time, when I, was, when I came into the business, it was Hardy Rates. And, you know, he was a great champion. But, you know, they had all the individual champions, the Florida champion, uh, you know, Mid-Atlanta champion and Southwest champion. They all had their own champion. They all had their top guy in the the territory that was carrying the territory. And, you know, Florida had a lot of times, especially when they had uh, Dusty Rhodes was hot in Florida. And, of course, Jack and Jerry Briscoe. And, you know, they had a bunch of good baby faces there, uh, Steve Kern and Jimmy Garvin. And I came in in that rookie class. They were a little ahead of me, Jimmy and Steve, because they knew Mike Graham. They were good friends and went to school with Mike Graham. So they got involved early, you know in the business before I got into but they were still kind of new. I think they were about a year, year and a half in the business or longer. And I was only like six, seven months in the business, but it had a damn good crew. And some of the top heels in the country, some of the best things you'll ever want to work. And, and, and when you were green, a young green kid, this is where you wanted to be to learn the business because these guys carried you. When you got lost, they shut you down. And made you understand that, no, no, you're doing it wrong, and you're going to go do it this way. That's, that's some of the best heels you can work with, you know. Don Morocco's, the Bugsy McGraw's, the uh, Mr. Pogo's, and, you know, Saito. They had a lot of great heels. Bad, bad, Leroy Brown. I had angles with some of the best heels in the country, you know. So, uh, And then, of course, you had Terry and Dory Funk in there, and that was, that was some real good wrestling.
0: Manny, so when each territory had their own champion, you had the NWA champion, did the NWA governing body, I know, and we all know now that the business is a work, I didn't know it back then, a lot of people, but but they know now, the business is a work, so the NWA governing body votes on who the champion is going to be, the world champion, but each territory had autonomy on who their local champion was going to be, right? That wasn't governed by the NWA?
1: No. The NWA was, uh, uh, they had nine nine heads of the territories, almost like the mafia, and you had one president. And that president at that time was Eddie Graham. He was that president over the nine territories. And then they would sit down in a council meeting, and they would discuss who could carry that world title belt, because the guy that carried that world title belt had to come into the territory with the territory's top guy and wrestle to make him, you know, prestigious, make him, uh, you know, where the people believe in him. More says, you know, he, he carried the territory from there. And that champion, the world champion, had to be able to work good with the, the top guy in every territory. He'd come in and make that top guy. Not by losing the belt, by going our Broadway, 90-minute Broadway, having the queues, but he would come in and make a good push for the top guy of the territory, like me. The party race came in the first night we did, when I knocked myself out by acting, we are supposed to go an hour Broadway, you know. <laughs> but we flew over the top rope and landed head first on the concrete. So, <laughs> that ended that early. Yikes. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, it, it was structured that way where they, they would uh, make sure that the NWA world champion would be able to go in and boost the territory, make sure that it pops
0: out. All right. So uh, everybody that uh, you won't you won't hear the, the part that was cut out, but Manny dropped because of the weather. So Manny, you were saying that the champion would come into the territory and and basically it was their job to uh, make the local champion look good or vice versa. Right? Correct. Correct. To get them start over strong for the people
1: keep the territory going once the champion left it was on that local champion to keep the territory strong because he came in and had a heck of a match with the the world champion you know that's what they did with all the good baby faces every good baby faces you know some territories like Florida had a lot of good baby. Dusty of course wrestled Hardy a lot big draw I wrestled Hardy a lot Barry Windham you know the, the baby Steve Kern you know those guys had run with the world champions so the territory stayed strong because they made the baby faces look strong
0: to compete with the top heels. sure and and explain to everybody that doesn't understand the difference between the promoter and the booker. So, you know, obviously you mentioned that Rhodes and Briscoe are the bookers. Eddie Graham is the promoter. A lot of people, you know, are familiar with WWE, where for, for years and years it's not the same way now necessarily, but for years and years McMahon is the promoter and uh, Pritchard and, and Patterson are the bookers. So what's the difference? Well,
1: the difference is the, the booker keeps the guys together. He keeps the angles. He comes up with all the angles that keep the territory strong and hot. He comes up with angles for the guys. He comes up with the matches. The promoter is the owner. The owner, and like an Eddie Graham, he just looks over their shoulder and makes sure that it's going in the right direction. Because he was a wrestler too. He was a great talent too, Eddie Graham. So he's always advising. go maybe with, He puts his two cents in when it's needed. But outside of that, he's just an owner making sure that all the uh, the buildings are paid for, the the arenas uh, are good, and uh, so we can sell them out. And that was mainly his job. But keeping this promotion on a straight and narrow is what the promoter does and the owner does. And you know, every now and then he has an advice on somebody, and he would advise me a lot when I had matches with Harley and I would fly home with him. He would, you know, he'd be. Telling me, you know, think about the angles. Think about what you're doing in the ring. Take your time. Don't be in a rush. You know, because he had a great mind about the business. But that's basically the difference. I, that ain't the difference in uh, WWE, because I don't care what you say about Patterson and, and, and the idiot Pritchard, but Vince has a final play. Vince right. is, you get to know, everything. Vince, Vince is over everything. Eddie mm-hmm. Graham was not. He let the bookers book. He let the bookers run the talent, the boys and got the angles over, and got the matches over, he let that. Every now and then, you know, a big show, he'd come in and say, okay, let's do that in Tampa Bay Stadium, or it's going to be a big, big show, let's go get the stadium. Yeah, he'd come in there with his advice on things, and that's how it went. of course, WWE ain't that way. It's Vince's where the highway, where you get that, uh, your notice, like all these people did, then he gives you that line, good luck with your future endeavors.
0: Yeah. Yeah. By the way, did you see all the talent they they released Braun Strowman, who was uh, their top guy, just what less than two years ago? Not not to, you know, just uh, an aside, a little tangent there. Who's Braun Strowman? <laughs> well, there we go. That's uh, that's how much Manny watches the modern product. Uh, I
1: I heard from one of my guys, one of the guys that I trained in San Antonio, he said on Facebook. Wow, WWE released a lot of talent. And I saw the thing on there, and I
0: said, God, I don't know any of these people. Who are they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, you know what it is, Manny? Uh, back in the uh, the earlier days, wrestling was about the name on the marquee and names yeah. being significant. And, and Dusty Rhodes or Ric Flair or Hulk Hogan, people would come to see them, Randy Savage. People would come to see them. And, and they would draw fans in. And, and WWE tries so hard to not have any one person. They want it to be about the brand. And because of that, there's no superstars. I mean, there's people that get elevated, but then they are back down. And uh, I think that's what, you know, besides the way the product has changed, it's very hard as a fan to really invest in people because there's really no megastars anymore. No,
1: that's very true. I mean,
0: is it, the era
1: of Megastars is long gone because of WWE and Vince. You know, Vince put them, elevates them for a while, they do something good, and then pretty soon they're not there no more. And before you know it, they're gone, and they're doing their little tours. WWE uh, come meet uh, and meet with WWE yeah. Super Tour, You know, they're doing all that. So it's like I said, you know, I saw the list of people being released, and... I'm, so, I'm like, wow,
0: I don't know any of these
1: people. Who are they, you know? What did they do? I don't, you know, it's, it's kind of strange in the business because it, it, when you went to territories back in the day, there was always somebody there that you were in that other territory that you build up together. And then eventually he shows up to that territory you're at. Like Barry went from Amarillo to Florida. I went to Florida first and Barry Windham came over there and we started picking it up like we did in Amarillo young guys making it hot, getting, you know, the younger people, attracting the teenagers, younger people, stuff like that. And you're always in the territories. When you went to another territory, you always ended up with two or three guys that you were in the territory before. So you always stayed close. It was a really good brotherhood. You know, it's what, what's missing since WWE did all this. You know, all the guys are pretty dang close. They, they, Hung out together. They drove together. Travelled together. Flew together. You know, it was a whole lot of difference now. Right? And it's, hard to, it's hard for me to imagine that wrestling wasn't. You know, the brothers of the road sharing the same load, taking care of one another, making sure all the families got needed if they needed some. If they needed some, you got it to them. You know, it's just sad that that's all gone. It doesn't exist.
0: It's more like a Hollywood production than anything else. Yeah, that's
1: that's true. And, of course, with that, you know, you got a lot of envious people and jealousy going on. you know, like when I started this business, Murdoch told me when I finally said, okay, I want to do it. Let's train. Get me trained to do this business. And when I agreed, he said, welcome to the most backstabbing business you'll ever be involved in.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And the stories are legendary. Um, yeah. so, so you get to Florida in 1979. Give us a sense. What's that territory look like? So um, is it the whole state of Florida? Is it just part, a part of Florida? Where are the big arenas? And uh, where, no. where where who's drawing the best? Yeah, give us a sense of what the territory looks like. Well, when I got well, – to tell you the truth, when I got there, I was nervous as hell. I was kind of scared because
1: I saw the talent they had. And I saw what they were doing But when I was in Amarillo. They would get tapes, you know, the guys over there, and you go watch the tapes. They had some real good talent, and they had some strong guys in there, Killer Khan, and, you know, all the Japanese guys and, and uh, the Vikings. I mean, they had some top guys, Buggy McGraw and the top heels, Terry and Dory Funk. So it was, it was kind of a scary point in my life. I said, where am I going to fit in? Well, you know, I fit in on the bottom. I started from the bottom up like everybody else. First match, second match, and going 15, 20 minute Broadways every night with Raul Mata, Don Soriano, great underneath guys. I mean, it was it's scary and it was not just one part of Florida, it was the whole state of Florida. You went from, from Tampa to Tallahassee all the way to Jacksonville and beyond. Not too much farther than beyond, but it was the whole state of Florida. So we had a lot of fun everywhere. Were
0: every, you every
1: little small town?
0: Did you work at all? Was uh, Hogan or Arndorf there at that at that period of time? I think Hogan had well, left, no. right?
1: I would have loved to work with Arndorf because me and him became great friends uh, later on down Louisiana. But um, no, Hogan was still a mark trying to get into the business when I was there. He approached <laughs> me a couple of uh, the, the Level Three Lounge a couple times, asking me how to get in the business. I told him go away. I'm eight months in the business. You don't need to be asking me that shit. Get my ass fired or get my ass <laughs> blackballed. <laughs> Go away, dude. <laughs> you know, but he was—he was still trying to get into business. That's the only thing I knew about him. But Orndorff was—he had just left to Louisiana when I got there.
0: Okay, so Orndorf, yeah. Orndorf gone. So, so major stars are—you uh, said the Funk's are down there. Dusty Rhodes is obviously there, Bugsy McGraw, who who tragically died too soon. Uh Killer Khan. Uh who else was on top there? Wait a minute, wait a minute. I just talked to Bugsy
1: about a year ago. You tell me, Pat.
0: Maybe I got
1: it wrong. Um he did because he didn't he's in Daytona, Florida. And when I did that convention in Florida. He reached out to me and I said, Oh my God, I haven't talked to you since 1980. You know what? <laughs> we you had a great angle.
0: <laughs> Shame on me. Uh we'll move on. I'm gonna cut that out. Somebody died. Um <laughs> they keep <me> out here. <laughs> what? yeah. All right. All right, let's let's move on. I'll, I'll just cut it. So tell me, tell me who else was was running on top down in Florida, Manny. Oh
1: yeah, Don Morocco, King Curtis, Joel LaDuke. All the Japanese, Saido, Sato, Takachi, which later became Kabuki. Uh, well, he was Mr. Pogo then. I got a chance to work at every one of them and had fun. I learned so much, especially Don Morocco. Don Morocco, the original rock, man, he was unbelievable. He was unbelievable. But see, I started on the bottom. I had to work my way up to, to you know, fourth, fifth match. I was first and second all the time. They were seeing how I came along working with the older, uh, the Raul Mata, Don Soriano type veterans working with them, going Broadway for them. See my attitude. It's always about testing your attitude. It's about testing your commitment to the business, knowing what it is. You know, you can't go out there and try to whip everybody's butt just because you have an amateur background. They won't put up with that. Jack and Jerry Briscoe have an amateur background. And I found out about that the hard way when I had a workout with them. You know, they were two-time national champions.
0: (laughs) But that's what they had. VOC Nation takes wrestling fans behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Get stories and inside information from people who worked on the other side of the curtain. Follow the VOC Nation Wrestling Network podcast feed and get weekly shows from hosts like Phil After, The Raging Bull, Manny Fernandez, Ken Resnick, The Maestro, Shelly Martinez, West Briscoe, and more. Visit VOCNation.com for more information and follow us on Twitter at VOCNation. They had a lot of great... Hero um,
1: Matuta was there, but he wasn't wrestling. He was there an advisor. But they had a lot of great shooters in that territory. People that can hurt you and make you believe the business is real. And the way they worked, the business looked real. The Malinko, Boris Malinko and all them, they, were, uh, they weren't Russian, but they were in that in the outer perimeter of, of Tampa wrestling and they're always there for advice and, and somebody needed to be handled, they can handle them, you know? But sure. that's what I liked about Florida territory, because every now and then, there would be a smart mouth guy talking and want to try out. And I'd just be up partying all night. Back in the 70s, Tampa had the bottle club. You could stay in the bar till eight o'clock in the morning, then go to bed and then somebody wakes you up and say, Manny, you need to be down there at the TV sportatorium. We got some guy that thinks you can wrestle. And I'm like, oh my God, I got to go do this. I got to hang over. I'm just going to have to hurt somebody and come back to bed. <laughs> so they had a lot of that in Florida. That's what Eddie Graham was all about. He doubted the business, he made you believe. Sure. And he, he, loved, he loved, Eddie Graham loved having his shooters. You know, like I said, Jack and Jerry Briscoe stayed there their whole careers. You know, they went to Carolina a couple times, Mid-Atlantic, but their whole investment was in Florida, and those two guys were awesome. They were awesome. You know, I enjoyed I enjoyed my... There was When I started moving up from second and third match to fourth match, semi. I started uh, doing a lot of six-man tag team matches with the Briscoe brothers, so I could learn how to tag in and out and everything. Their big deal was, they always put me in the middle when they introductions, you know, I always had to stand in the middle. So when the referee went to check them, they'd raise their hands and slap the hell out of me. (laughs) (laughs) That was was their big deal. And I started going, What the hell? Then I finally realized that was a big kick for them. So I let them get away with it all the time. You know, I didn't want to know he, I was a green rookie, you know, and I had two of the best shooters in the country. And I was a green rookie. So I'd say, What the hell? It's only a little slap in the face. (laughs) But those two guys, took care of me, took me under their wing, Jack and Jerry Briscoe, even Jerry being the booker, assistant booker, they took me under their wing. I traveled with them all the time. Every show I had to ride with them, of course, and they ribbed the hell out of me. They left me on the side of the road. I don't know how many times I got left on the side of the road. So, Well, you
0: know, they do. You stop to go to the bathroom, and then they take off
1: yeah. without you? Yeah. They, they call pee stop, and they go to get out the door, and I'm already out the door because I'm in the back seat. They're going pee, and they just take off.
0: Okay, this is an era without yeah. cell phones. What What do you do? I mean, you call it. You, you a pay phone and, huh? There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do because they
1: always let you out in the middle of nowhere. So all you can do is start walking, and about ten minutes later, here they come back and get you.
0: Okay, so you never, <laughs> you never got left high and dry. You never had oh, a. No, no, no.
1: They know That was a rib. That was the rib to pull. That was the big, their big kick. You know, ribbing the rookie. The one time. We went out and I love I love watermelon. One fruit I love is watermelon. I could eat ten watermelons in a day. I could eat that many. And they knew that. Yep. They knew where water. Well, they knew where this watermelon field was, and they told me you're to go pick some watermelons. Well, I didn't know that they knew the guy that owned the watermelon patch. So I go out there and I'm picking. They pop the trunk on their Lincoln Continental, and I'm how happy I'm picking. You know watermelons. I'm taking in the trunk. I come back and all of a sudden I got a shotgun in my face, and I'm going, "Oh my god!" <laughs> watermelon in the face. I look up at the guy and I'm like freaking out. He's got a shotgun, and then the guy starts grinning. I go, "Damn it, them damn
0: Briscoes!" <laughs> oh, they set it up so he would do that to you.
1: Yeah, they set it up. Yeah, they they even set up one time when they got me arrested. Yeah, they, they knew all the cops in town. And I was in the the armory Hmm. in Tampa. And these cops came in to arrest me. I I was out all night. Somebody complained about rape. I'm like, wait a minute. I know I was out all night, but I know I didn't do that. And then there was a rib too. Oh, boy. Man. (laughs) That's what the business miss more than anything. The business doesn't do that no more. They don't have that kind of fun. You know, it was kind of spooky. But then at the end, you know it's a rib when they started to, okay, you know, they were so great with the ribs. When I was, as a rookie back in the day, you were going to get ribbed no matter what, no matter what, they didn't care how tough you were. They didn't care what you've done in your life. They were going to rib you because that was just part of the tradition. That was tradition
0: to them. That's uh unfor unforgiving. Um, so, so what's the loop look like, Manny? Uh, Are you traveling from Jacksonville to Miami? What's the Florida territory? What are the major arenas? Well,
1: major arenas are the Miami, of course, Jacksonville, Orlando, Tampa, Bayfront Center, Tampa, um, Gainesville, the University of Florida. Oh, Those are the big ones. Uh, Let me think of those. We had so many. Lakeland, Florida was another big draw for us, Lakeland. I mean, there were so many other spots, Stanford, Florida, Hialeah. I mean, we had millions of little spot shows that we do at, at the Hialeah arenas and stuff. But the main shows, like Miami, we never drove Miami. We always uh, paid 50 bucks a piece. six guys would fly in a twin proper and one of them beach crafts and go flying and me and Garvin and Kern and Dusty and Jack and Jerry Briscoe. We'd all go fly to Miami on that. We'd all pay 50 bucks a piece and go fly and come home all drunk and try to get home. But it was it was fun back in the day because, like I said, you got the travel, and, and of course you're gonna get ribbed no matter yeah. what. You know, you're gonna get ribbed because you're still green. And even though Kern and Garvin were kind of green, they'd almost been in the business two years. I hadn't been in the business in eight months, so you know you're green as hell. Even though you can work because the people that taught you how to work, and you know how to work they're still going to treat you as a green rookie. And that's what I loved about the business. I, I kind of enjoy, I knew the ribs, you know, half the time, you know, they're coming, but you let right. go because, you know, it, it's the thing. It's just, it's tradition. And, you know, then some people nowadays became us. you try to rip them and they're all like, oh, I don't believe in that kind of stuff. That's not cool. It's how stupid people have
0: gotten, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no. It's camaraderie is definitely lost, and it's yeah. not just wrestling. It's, yeah. uh, I mean, there. I can see where. I mean, there was some some ruthless um, pranks where people are getting hurt, but fun fun ribs that are, you know, not not hurtful uh, are are just part of uh, being a team and and getting to know each other and having fun, right? Right. It's you know like. Steve Curran super
1: glued my boots to the ground. <laughs> 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 no standard ribs. Or they lock your bag to get up, they find a locker. You're doing a high school show, and somebody left their locker unlocked. They take the lock and lock your bag to the locker. You have to cut the handle off to take it home. <laughs> you oh. know, these are harmless ribs. <laughs> it was fun back in the day. Back in Back Florida was one of the biggest ribbon territories in the country. You had to. Every now and then you get uh, Sir Oliver Humperdinck and Bugsy McGraw, Bad Bad Leroy Brown. They pass you up down the highway. when we drive to Orlando because Orlando not that far from Tampa or Jacksonville. We drive there. They pass you up on the highway and they shoot their guns over the roof of your car. Bam, bam, bam. You know, you're like, oh, what the hell? But you know, that was fun stuff. To us, that was fun. I mean, to, to normal people, that would be a scary, scary thing to do. but to idiots like us, that was fun, you know. Then we all got our guns and started shooting everybody, oh, shooting boy. at everybody. <laughs> I mean, that was the Florida territory. We had some bad. Uh, me and Barry had a real bad wreck in my little uh, Volkswagen pickup truck that I got. We flipped it eight times. Thank God we didn't get hurt. I just had stitches under my chin. But we we did some silly stuff. Florida was a hot territory. All the boys were close. Everybody had no problems with one another. And Jerry, to tell you the truth, Eddie Graham ran a tight ship, very tight ship. He believed in K kayfabe to the max. You did anything to break that, you were gone. You were gone that day. Hmm. You were dead. That's how strong that territory was. But, you know, you're talking about talent. You're talking about guys like Morocco and King Curtis and Joel Duke and Bugs McGraw and Terry and Dory Funk who came in. And, of course, you're, you're younger underneath the heels. You know, those guys are pretty good, too. The guys that made you get through the first and second match when you first got there so you could prove yourself to the booker. That's basically what it is. But
0: So, Manny, who, who were some of your – well, before I get there, um, we talked about the arenas. And explain this in the old territory system. So you're paid on the gate right there's no guaranteed contracts like there are today so i'm assuming you know you get your big payoffs on the the big towns and the small towns you just work because you have to work and um i mean is there any any towns on the loop that you're like oh boy i gotta do this but but you have to do it because you're not you're not going to get to the the big the big shows if you don't put in the time at the little shows is that how it worked no no it's
1: not how it worked in florida Every town the water was so hot everywhere we went was a sellout. So you know as a rookie, you know, I came from making twenty-five when I started making twenty five dollars a match, you know, part of the they pay you by the gate, correct. Fifty percent goes to promotion and fifty percent goes to the boys. If you're having sellouts and a little armory which holds four or five hundred people, you're still gonna make two, three hundred dollars for that night as an underneath guy. You know. The top you probably make a grand, but you're gonna make the two or two or three hundred dollars and you know you're talking about seven days a week twice on Sunday if you're making two or three hundred dollars you're still making sixteen hundred dollars a week you know in a tod territory like that so if you're still underneath that's a good pay week that's a good money for a guy underneath you know and the top guys yeah they're making four or five grand. they're having a better week but it's being underneath making that kind of fifteen, sixteen, hundred dollars 1600 a week. Think about that and think about the expenses in 79. 79, there was not, you know, gas wasn't $3 a gallon. Gas True. wasn't even a dollar a gallon, you know? So, you know, the expenses, your rent and everything, places with $300, $300, 400 a month,
0: you could live good. You could live good. Now, when, when guys went to a different territory, so when you went to Florida, um, I'm assuming you didn't have a family, so you just kind of pick up and move. How did guys do it that, that had families? I mean, would you pick up your family and move to the territory when you changed territories? Well, eventually they
1: do. First they go into the territory and get themselves settled. They leave their family there where they've already been settled Okay, in, in a couple months. Then when they got settled, got a place for the family, and know they were making steady money, they would uh, bring their family in. Yes. But it wasn't right away. Unless you were just uh, a husband and wife, I was by myself. So, you know, uh, I wasn't married to nobody.
0: And then how did you decide where to live? Did guys decide based on the main arena at that town or where the office was? How would they figure it out? Wherever
1: you decided to move, whatever part of the city, like in Tampa, you know, the Briscoes live way out in the country. They went way out in the country out there. And uh, I kind of lived towards them in a real nice complex, their apartment. Then I bought when I started getting main event, I bought a house over by them, by the lake. I messed with the gators a lot, throwing rocks at them all the time. But uh, that's what most people got where they were comfortable. It wasn't a thing. I think the only time I went, and we'll talk about that later, but the only time I noticed where the boys were cluttered together they wanted to live on top of one another, which I never did, was uh, the Mid-Atlantic territory. Everybody right. wanted to be with each other. You know, everybody wanted to be close together, close to the office and everything. But that's the only time I've, I've seen that. But other than that, wherever you felt comfortable, you live. Wherever you felt you could stay and be at peace, that's where you live.
0: Yeah, because you're, you're making the loop, right? You're, you're constantly on the okay. road almost every day. Think- so it didn't matter.
1: Yeah. you're based in Tampa anyway. That's your hometown. Okay. Tampa's the hometown. That's, that's where the office was. That's the base of the office. So anywhere the office was, you're gonna live inside that city. You know, San Antonio. The office was uh, on Blanco Road, so everybody lived around five miles of that perimeter. You know, and basically, you're gonna be based in San Antonio, based in Tampa, based in Kansas City, or anywhere you're in, in uh, Baton Rouge. Anywhere you go. That's where the office is. You're basically going to be based from there, and that's where you go from. That's where you take your chair. All the boys meet up to ride together at a certain restaurant or a certain uh, department store. You hook up and drop your car off, jump in the other car, and you're off to the town. Unless you're flying, of course, then you all meet at the airport.
0: For over 10 years, VOC Nation has taken listeners behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Our hosts are not only experts on the business, but have lived in the business. Subscribe and hear weekly podcasts from hosts like legendary pro wrestling journalist Bill Apter, former Impact Wrestling star Wes Briscoe, former WWE and AWA broadcaster Ken Resnick, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, former WCW star The Maestro, NWA legend The Raging Bull Manny Fernandez, and much more. VOC Nation programming is free on most major podcasting apps, including iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Radio.com. And video podcast and bonus content is available on Patreon for as low as $3 a month. What are you waiting for? Head to VOCNation.com and dig into the most comprehensive podcast network built for pro wrestling fans. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at VOC Nation Wrestling Network, and follow us on Twitter at VOC Nation. So, all right, you get there in 79. You say you work on the bottom of the card to start. Who's the champion when you come into Florida? Is it Terry Funk?
1: Terry Funk was the Florida Heavyweight Champion, yes. Yeah.
0: And, and Southern Heavyweight Champion was Dick
1: Slater, Dickie Slater. And then the tag champions were the Japanese guys, Sato and Saito. And I don't know who else was.
0: It's, it's a while back. I'm old now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. I'm, I'm just trying to paint the picture. Uh, you say Slater's the Southern heavyweight champion. Is that the, the belt just under the Florida heavyweight championship? Yes, just under yeah. the
1: Florida heavyweight Yeah. So the TV title, Southern, the Florida heavyweight title, and the tag title, they were all kind of strong. Huh? They all Everybody who had a title in Florida, they were strong. All the titles. You could put the tag champions in the main event one night, and then the Southern Champion main event, it all meant something. It all carried weight. That's the thing about that back then. All the titles carried weight. Everybody that had with the title had to make sure he was a strong champion. So he carried the weight, and he'd be able to be main event on a certain show at a certain time. And everybody carried their belt. you know. So we drew money that way. That's how he stayed strong. Dickie Slater was a hell of a wrestler. He was a hell of a champion in Southern Hamlet. He was a tough guy. Very tough guy.
0: By the way, so that uh, Bugsy McGraw doesn't get angry with me, I was thinking of Rick McGraw, (laughs) who died in 1985. (laughs) Yeah, not Bugsy, but Rick. Quick draw Rick McGraw. Yeah, him, yeah. Because I was going
1: like, I know. I had some some of the best. When I finally got to main event, semi-main event, when Dusty was giving me the push, uh, I had some of the greatest, man. Funniest matches in the world. And I knew Eddie Graham was dead against you laughing in the ring. When I would wrestle Bugsy, I had to bite my tongue almost because he did some, un- especially his Three Stooges act, every time I would nail him with a fine elbow. And he'd go down and do the spin around like, like Curly used to do. Oh, my God. I would, do- <laughs> I would almost die. I had so many memorable matches with him. I had so much fun with Bugsy. He was so good. And thick as a moose, man. But he was a great, great champion, too. And then, of course, he had Sir Oliver Humperdinck. I thought Sir Oliver Humperdinck in my book in territory and my time in all the territories was one of the greatest managers around. I thought just his just his manner, how he took care of his guys, how he took care of himself in the ring, how he took bumps and how the heat and how he got heat and kept his heat. It was unbelievable. He was an unbelievable manager. I've never uh- seen a better manager
0: and this happened a lot up north, but uh, until they they took Oliver Humperdinck, who was a vicious, notorious heel, and made him the manager, uh, uh, the face manager of Bam Bam Bigelow in WWF oh, circa yeah. 1987. And he's wearing tie-dye and, or whatever they did to him.
1: Yeah, yeah. I remember that. I remember that. I was, I was teasing him about it one time when I saw him, you know. But he,
0: he in Bam Bam Bigelow. Yeah, he's good with Bam Bam yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so, Manny, you're you're there. Uh, Terry Funk's the champion. And uh, how long did did it take before they decided they wanted to work you on top as the Florida heavyweight champion? Uh
1: almost a year. Uh, well, I was almost a year in the business, I should say. And it was Terry Funk. That's why I t- thank Terry Funk every day. Every time I see him, when we right. have a sit down. Yeah, because it was his decision to do it. By then, I was already working. I had tag matches, you know. Like I said, I had six man tag six man tag matches with Jack and Jerry Briscoe, and those were awesome matches against the Japanese, and especially when they would chase around Masao Tori, the little Japanese manager, and pull his pants off and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so- They'd they'd pants him. And he'd be fighting the hell for them not to take his pants off. But he he always lost that fight. (laughs) But You know, I went from there. Then I tagged up with Dusty a few times. And they were just slowly grooming me, making sure I was ready, putting me in tags with the top guys like that. And then, you know, wrestling Bugsy by myself and Morocco by myself, you know, just trying to get me established. They got me established, and the one that got me over the hump was Terry. He decided in Orlando, Florida, that I was going to small package in me to put that title on me, so basically, Terry. And to this day, I thank him for what he's done. And everybody, you know, I tell a lot of people, you should be grateful. Terry made you, you know, you got a chance to wrestle the greatest, and he put you over. He made you, you know, he made you. You should be grateful for that. You know? Now.
0: How long did you hold the belt, man?
1: About a year. So we did that angle with Morocco and and uh, Ernie Ladd.
0: So and yeah. tell people that that aren't familiar. So you hold the belt for a year, and uh, how's the setup when you're going to drop the belt? So and and talk through uh, through the angle as much as you remember.
1: I can't tell you. That's K big man. <laughs>
0: Well, well now, how did it, how did it set up on TV? So, um, you're going to drop the belt well, to Morocco, right? Yeah, we, me and Don
1: had matches for the, uh, for the heavyweight title for a while. We had a program going for like three or four months and Don was after me and I'd always try uh, get out of it by the skin of my teeth. he slip on a banana peel, all that. That's what I always loved about Don Morocco. This guy can get beat every night, every night you could beat Don Morocco but he had more heat than, the, than anybody in the territory. He got more heat getting beat than anybody I know. He just kept his heat. He just kept his heat. And of course he had uh, Humperdin too, so that helped out. So, you know, the, what it was was they brought in a bounty. Humperdin supposedly paid Ernie Ladd to come in and interfere in the match on the bounty on me with that. That led up to my program with Ernie Ladd. But uh, Ernie Ladd came in off a double knockout and he had a mask on. And, you know, he had a mask on, came in, and while well, I was knocked out, he came off the top rope to land and landed and splashed me, and put Morocco on top of me for one, two, three. And, you know, people went crazy in Miami. So I almost started a riot. It <laughs> almost started a damn riot. But then, of course, you know, the a camera, a camera crew was around. Some they were sneaking around, the camera crew. All of a sudden, they popped up, and they went in the dressing room, and they caught Humperdinck Payne, Ernie Ladd a ton of money for what he did. <laughs> and that, that's what that led up to the, uh, my teeth, my jaw, that led up to the angle with me and Ernie Ladd. And that was a fun one too. I had a great time in Florida. I had great, you know, you talk about the guys that I got to wrestle, Ernie Ladd, Amarago, King Curtis, Joe Duke, you know, Terry Funk, Dory Funk, Cheese. You know, I almost forget. Harley Race, almost forgot the main mind. Harley Race, you know, I mean it was unbelievable territory. I got educated, number one. I
0: sure. learned the
1: business the right way. I learned to respect it more. I learned to love it more. And I learned that you want to take care of one another, no matter your ideas or your dislikes. When you're in that ring, you take care of your business. That's what you're there to do. Yeah. That's what I learned.
0: By the way, Ernie Ladd, you know, he was played and very successful in the NFL, wrestled uh, really starting at the same time in 1961, just looked like a fun guy to be around. Was that the case? Yeah. He was
1: funny. Then. I used to laugh because when we started, he'd beat me down when I started my comeback. I'd fire off gut punches, bam, 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 to the gut, bam, and then go to the top. By the time I went to the top, he was already selling his head. I hadn't had... <laughs> he was grabbing the side of his ear. I'm going, damn, I haven't hit you yet. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you, man, the most fun I had probably in the territory was Florida. Guys are crazy. I remember John Morocco would get me and, and shove quailes down my throat when I was I was a rookie. Open your mouth, kid. Boom, I'd feel that and he said, Now nah, swallow. And I'd swallow. And pretty soon, about 10 minutes, I was all buzzy.
0: Oh, my (laughs) Lord. Wow. Er, Ernie Ladd uh, played for uh, for a couple teams, but played for the Chargers, didn't want to play for the Chargers, had a contentious relationship, and then decided to leave and never come back. And he became a full-time wrestler, I think, starting in 67, right? Right, right. And uh, and had a great career. Uh, wrestled I yeah, believe until '86. Yeah, WrestleMania right. Two was his final appearance, right?
1: Yeah, right. I didn't keep up with him much later. I I just knew Ernie when his background with the Chiefs, you know, because he was you know in the uh, honor circle in the Chiefs. Ernie Ladd, Curly Colt, William there, all that, bump, uh, all them guys that played with the Chiefs when they had their run with a uh, Hank. Hank Stray, Yep. I knew about it because it was the Chiefs, but I didn't really keep up with it. Once they were gone, you know, and Ernie left the territory and I went to San Antonio. You didn't really keep up with him. And the every territory that went after that, I didn't see Ernie at all.
0: So I'm sorry, he did no show that with the Chargers lost a dispute with the league, suspended from football, came back in 66, played for the Chiefs in 67, and then transitioned into pro wrestling full time. Um, But yeah, I mean, just a tremendous athlete. You know, he was a big man, uh, 6'9", 300 pounds, and uh, they call him the big cat because he could move, right? He was a big guy that could move. Oh, he was quick. Yeah, he was agile.
1: Very agile for a size. He was like Mulligan. Him and Mulligan surprised me because they're all six foot nine, three hundred some pounds, and they could move. They were so agile. They did, you know, they could basically do anything a two hundred pounder guy could do.
0: So, so after you dropped the belt to Morocco, uh, how much longer did you stay around Florida before you moved to the next spot? Oh yeah, well, well, me
1: had a little. Return matches with Morocco, of course. Yep. A couple of return matches. And then I started working against Dory. Dory was the Southern Heavyweight Champion, so we had a couple of things going on with Dory. When, when Dusty left, Dory took over the booking, okay. and Wahoo would come. We had a big show in Miami,
0: and I had
1: uh, the Japanese Pogo. We had a big show in Miami, and Wahoo came down from San Antonio, and Bill Watts came down from Louisiana. In this big show in Miami, it was a really good big show, and I wrestled Pogo, and we went out there and Watts and uh, Wahoo were watching the match, and I was uh, it was a hell of a match with Pogo, and they both come back, and I didn't know Dusty was leaving as the booker after the big show in Tampa with Harley Race Last Tango in Tampa, and Dory was taking over, but Wahoo and Watts were interested in getting me to their territory especially because uh, in San Antonio, it's all a lot of tons of Hispanic people. Right. Got a ton of Hispanic people. And they came in there and they asked me, I said, I don't know. I got, you know, Dusty, you know, the booker, and I can't just say I can go. I didn't, I didn't know. They approached me, but I didn't know how to respond to that. Right. So you know, I still, grew. I was still less, a little over a year, in the, in the, almost two years in, ter- in the business, but I was still green to the fact that, I didn't know how to go about, you know, saying, "Hey, I want to give my notice." But, right. you know, I talked to Terry and uh, talked to Wahoo, and, I, and Terry thought saying Antonio, coming back to Texas, would be the best deal. So, uh, I, and then Dusty left, and Dory was there, and Dory still had me on top working. Uh, I went in and told Dory. I think I got a little heat with him when I told him that I had to go to. I would like to give my notice to go to San Antonio and work for a while. So I don't know. I think I got a little heat for saying that, for doing that. But I was already – well, I wanted to come back to Texas anyway. So that's how that happened. Sure.
0: And uh, and then you, you did that, what, 82? You went back to San Antonio. Or you went back to Texas in San Antonio. Yeah, San Antonio. San Antonio. And, and that's where we'll leave it, Manny. Uh, that's uh, the story of Manny Fernandez in Florida. And we'll pick it back up at some point and uh, take take it to the next phase in San Antonio. But before that, we'll stop off and uh, answer some mail. Um, we have a, a few hundred uh, pieces of mail uh, virtually or uh, electronically to look through. So um, we'll either do one or two mailback episodes. We'll get through the Crockett years, of course, because people keep asking about that. And uh, there's a lot of, a lot of Fernan- a lot of Manny Fernandez left. Uh, so um, stay tuned, stay tuned. Yep. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Manny. Uh, great, great to, uh, I'm, I'm honored to do this show with you every week and uh, having a good time. So, uh, let's just uh, hope that the people keep tuning in to listen to the stories and I think the best is yet to come uh, a lot of people asking about the Crockett years so that'll be a good time and I think we'll have some fun answering some fan questions uh the ones that we can answer because you know fans get a yeah. little crazy sometimes with their questions no, yeah.
1: yeah they're gonna they, they got the right to that's why they're fans I mean but like, you can ask stupid questions and you can answer uh, logistically. I mean, you can answer proper, even though they're stupid. You just tell them, well, you know, everybody's got their own opinion. Everybody's got go. their own way of life, you know? Yep. But yeah, I really enjoyed, you know, I didn't say a lot of the stuff. Ribs, they the real bad ribs in Florida. <laughs> pooping in bags. Somebody pooping in the bags, putting dead snakes in bags. Oh, boy. <laughs> because in Florida, summertime, you know, there's snakes all on the road. They all get run over. We used to pick them up, me and Kern and Garvin. And we knew he a Frenchie, the guy that took care of Andre later on. He was a great referee for us in Florida. We knew we were scared of snakes, and we put him in his bag. And he, one time, he started shooting at us. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, we had fun. Florida was a fun part of my life, very fun part of my life.
0: Well, we'll keep doing it, Manny. Uh, Great week here talking about Florida and uh, the career of Manny Fernandez. Remember, if you want to drop a question for our mailbag episode or two, uh, do uh, uh, tweet VOC Nation at VOC Nation, use the hashtag no BS or send an email to Bruce at VOCnation.com. That's it for this week on No BS with the Bull for the Raging Bull Man Fernandez. I'm the voice of choice, Bruce we will talk to you next week on No BS with the Bull, right here on the VOC Nation Wrestling Network. For over 10 years, VOC Nation has taken listeners behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Our hosts are not only experts on the business, but have lived in the business. Subscribe and hear weekly podcasts from hosts like legendary pro wrestling journalist, Bill Aptor, former Impact Wrestling star, Wes Briscoe, former WWE and AWA broadcaster, Ken Resnick, former WWE and TNA star, Shelly Martinez, former WCW star, The Maestro,